we're only as good as the community that still hasn't had vaccination, that still has raging numbers. And so we have to collectively um, work towards controlling these pandemics together. Hello, everyone. Welcome to IWF Game Changers, a monthly conversation with some of the trailblazing members of the International Women's Forum. I'm Ann Doyle. Let's talk about life in leadership. World Health Day has been celebrated in early April since 1950. And this year's theme, let's build a fairer, healthier world for everyone. That's an ambitious goal and it couldn't be more timely as countries all over the world are still in the grip of COVID-19. So what are the lessons this global pandemic is teaching that will help us prepare for a healthier world in the future? Our guest today has deep expertise in this critically important question and an eye on the future. Joining us from Singapore is Professor Ivy Ng. She is the Group Chief Executive Officer of Sing Health, the largest healthcare group in the Republic of Singapore, where she leads a team of over 17,000 healthcare professionals and multiple hospitals. She has received multiple prestigious honors and recognitions for her work as a physician, a healthcare CEO, an internationally respected researcher, and a visionary leader who received the prestigious World Woman of the Year Award in 2012. Welcome, Ivy Ern. I'm just honored to join you in this conversation tonight. Thank you. We're still in the grips of this COVID-19 pandemic that's gone on longer, I think, than any of us hoped. So how are things going in Singapore right now? So I have to say things are going on very well in Singapore, though obviously we're always watching it very closely, but uh, we're cautiously optimistic. We've had less than three community cases per day now for more than six months. Um, wow. Most, almost all of the new cases we're getting every day, uh, up to about 30 a day, uh, are imported cases. So we have a very strict policy here that uh, all new arrivals into Singapore get a swap done and they get transported directly to a hotel where they are quarantined. So thankfully that this hasn't caused a leak into the local population. I would say, you know, we're well on our way with the vaccination program. We vaccinated over 10% of the population. We prioritized healthcare workers, of course, and um, in Sing Health, more than 90% have been vaccinated. So we continue to adhere strictly to the safe management measures, which means masks are mandated. You know, the size of groups that can meet is limited to eight or less. Everybody's got to be at least a meter apart. And uh, 
these rules uh, continue to be enforced uh, because we know that the disease is still raging in many countries, including our neighboring countries. So I think we can't let our guard down with COVID-19. Uh, we know the UK variant is very much more infectious. We've had a number of cases coming in from UK with the variant, but because of the very strict rules of quarantine uh, for new arrivals, this hasn't caused a huge problem in Singapore yet, but uh, we watch it extremely closely. You know, your point about having very, very strict rules, I mean, the other piece of that is people respecting and cooperating with those rules. And that's been a gigantic challenge here in the United States, where it's one thing to put in place rules, but if people refuse to adhere to them, is that a dramatic cultural difference that you're able to, you have cooperation from people? You know, there are so many lessons to learn from this past year. And I have to say, we were learning as we were executing changes. But, you know, if I can maybe summarize the learnings uh, that we've mm -hmm. had and we continue to learn. The first thing is, is really decisive action uh, from a strong leadership. And leadership really counts in a crisis like the pandemic. So you can't have voices that confuse the public. Uh, you can't have voices that, you know, continually oppose the rules. And I would say in Singapore, we've been blessed, you know, that we have a strong government that immediately put together and a multi-ministry task force that would have press conferences every day, giving very clear guidance as to you know, what, we, what we would do in response to the crisis. In SingHealth, you know, I chaired what we call the SingHealth Disease Outbreak Task Force, and we met every other day, and we aligned ourselves to the rules that were coming out uh, from the government. And this, you know, happened all across Singapore. The other point is enforcement, of course. Uh, mm. So you're right, you could make rules, but if they aren't enforced, then, you know, you always in every country and Singapore is no different. You have people who are trying trying their luck, as we would say, uh, to break the rules and see what happens. COVID-19 is all about a public health issue. So it isn't anymore about individual rights. Uh, it is a public health issue. And so if I choose not to use a mask because that's my right to choose mm -hmm. not to do that, and I get infected, I would infect everybody else. And frankly, it's the right of other people to be protected from me. You know, there was strong enforcement of the policy. So, you know, volunteers were called safe distancing ambassadors. Okay, nice ah, name. But literally, yes. they were walking around the streets, the shops, everywhere, just checking on people. And they were empowered 
that if they asked you nicely to use your mask or, you know, Mm -hmm. and if you didn't, then they were empowered to do like a citizen arrest on you or something like that. The second point I wanted to make was uh, appropriate deployment of healthcare resources. So I think very early on, we were concerned when the number of patients were going up and there was a peak, like all other countries, that would have totally swamped our healthcare facilities. And, you know, we saw that all around the world, the ICUs were overflowing, you know, there there were these painful choices that had to be made on who gets to have intensive care and who doesn't. And we wanted to avoid that. And I would say, uh, because of, you know, decisive action and deployment uh, appropriately of healthcare resources, we never reached that stage. We have that situation even right now. We're in another cycle here in the United States. And my state of Michigan is one of the worst in the country right now with the hospitals completely o- overloaded. So what does that mean in terms of how you deploy your resources? What it means is that we realized early on that different patients would manifest the disease differently, okay? Meaning older patients tended to have more severe disease and the younger patients tended to have milder disease, right? We also realized that if you diagnose them earlier, and you intervened earlier, you could prevent the deterioration of the patient to a state that they would be exceedingly ill. So if you were younger and less severe, we created community care facilities. Literally, we took over, you know, Singapore has huge convention centers, but we Mm, took over convention centers and we created tens of thousands of beds. And mind you, these were fairly basic. And we would deploy nurses and doctors to these community care facilities. But of course, the ratio of a healthcare worker to patients was much, it was, you know, you were covering many more patients in a community care facility because they were relatively well. But the point is, monitor them closely and well. And the minute they show any signs of any possible deterioration, we would quickly transfer them into a hospital. And with this very clear protocol, we managed 60,000 plus patients and we've only had 30 deaths in the whole period, three zero. Which gives How us many? one of the 30, zero, three zero, right? With no other zeros after that. So, it, wow. So that gives wow. us a case fatality rate of 0.05%. So it's extremely low. So do you see this as a pandemic that we're going to finally get our, ourselves through and then it's behind us or are there more to come? I don't think we'll ever go back to the old normal. Pre-pandemic normal, I, 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 I doubt it. 
So we talk about the new normal all the time. And we started our plans for the new normal. We, we put it into five buckets or five Ps, our patients. So we have to keep patients as far as possible at home and in the community because we know that's where they're safe. So let's increase our remote consults, teleconsults, video consults. Let's bring medication to them. So delivery of medication much more. And obviously for some of them, they have to come into the hospitals, but we're going to try and reduce that need considerably. That's the first P. The second P is our people. So the way we work has to be different as well. We have to, you know, ensure we continue to have split teams, you know, so we don't cross infect. Um, we should work from home or have flexi work arrangements wherever possible. The third P is our places, you know, or our infrastructure has to be renovated and built differently. More isolation rooms, you know, no more huge pantries where we can gather together. We need space that we can uh, convert very quickly. So dual use space, right? The fourth P is our academic medicine programs. Education and research took quite a beating uh, in the early part of the pandemic. We are creating more robust ways of continuing to uh, do research and and continue training if this happens again or in the new normal. And the last P is really continuing to refine our pandemic preparedness because you know it's been said for decades that we're just waiting on a disease X pandemic that's very infectious, that's very deadly, and therefore worse than COVID-19. And so, you know, Worse. because of the way, yes, we are so interconnected in this world. Right, it took I barely was... months to reach the entire world. So what are the lessons of, of the ways we must work together a, as a global community? I think the public health measures are critical. So you can see that even though, you know, different countries, different states have different successes and achievements with COVID-19, we're still largely not opening boundaries because we can't. We're only as good as our weakest link. You know, that's, that's clear. And so mm -hmm. as a global community, we're only as good as the community that still hasn't had vaccination, that still has raging numbers. And so we have to collectively work towards controlling these pandemics together. You said what a shy little girl you were. And so how was it that you found your voice to become the inspiring leader that you are today? I remember my, my mentor saying to me, you know, when I was hesitant to move into a leadership role, he said, you know, if you're a good doctor, you've touched the lives of maybe 50 patients a day, uh, maximum. But if you're a good leader, you could touch the lives of, you know, double that, quadruple that, you know, 10 times that. And that's kind of 
been my motivation. It is still rare for women to be able to achieve at their highest level and have a family. And so many women still struggle with that. What is your advice and lessons learned to this next generation of aspiring women leaders? You face difficult times all the time. And that's a sure thing. Whatever job you choose to do, you will face difficulties. And so you have to persevere. You have to be determined to continue doing it uh, during the tough times. And then I think there's, um, there's you know, the, the progress will come, you know, the, the, the peace and the fulfillment. Yes, but perseverance, it, it helps in any situation, especially in a pandemic. <laughs> It was an absolute pleasure to talk with you, Professor Ivy Ern, CEO of Sing Health, the largest healthcare group in Singapore. Thank you for sharing your expertise and your insight with us. And thank you to our listeners for joining us for this episode of Game Changers. We hope you'll join us again as we talk about life in leadership. I'm Ann Doyle.